This is G-N-E, the podcast, Golf and Entrepreneurship, with Alex Elliott, PGA teaching professional and social media star. That patience thing was massive, but yeah, about six months in was difficult for me. I thought, especially when the winter when it's so wet and cold, and it's like, I was spending time filming with a woolly hat on, mitts on, and a hot cup of tea in between filming and saying a few things, and it's like, why am I doing this? But then I remembered and just trying to keep yourself focused and be patient and now and thankfully I didn't stop and have carried on to where I am now. What's up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of GNE the podcast where each week we talk with individuals who are creating remarkable careers, lives and businesses around this great game. And we apologize for not having an interview the past few weeks with travel and the holidays. Things have been very busy, but we have a great guest for y'all today to get things rolling again and He is one of my favorite YouTubers. His name is Alex Elliott, and he has joined us to talk about how he went from being a professional golfer to European tour caddy and now a successful PGA teaching professional who uses social media to grow his business and brand. And with over 20,000 subscribers on YouTube and over 40,000 followers on Instagram, Alex has a lot of great takeaways and advice. And so without further ado, Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. I'm excited to dive into your story. I've been a big fan of your stuff on YouTube for a while now, so really pumped to learn how that all came to be, and I'm sure our listeners are going to hear a little bit of an accent from you, and so where are you calling in from? So I'm calling from the UK in Manchester, so I'm I'm based in like South Manchester, um, roughly probably about 20 minutes outside the city centre. So yeah, a little bit different from where you guys are. Yes, sir. Definitely a bit different than where we are. And I would just love to go play some golf over there. It's on the bucket list. Hopefully going to happen pretty soon. But have you lived there most of your life? Yeah, I've spent, well, ever since I was born, I've grown up and played my golf out of Manchester and lived here ever since. Been abroad in between, but we'll play a little bit later. But um, yeah, I've, I've pretty much lived in Manchester my whole life. That's awesome. So did you grow up playing golf? Yeah, so I started playing golf when I was, about four or five, but along with, you know, like all other sports, so your soccer and cricket, rugby, anything I could really do at that age. Um, but then as I kind of got a little bit older, um, probably about 13, 14, it probably became a bit more of like kind of my main focus, probably the sport that I felt that like I was going to be best at. And that's what I soon turned to the side of thinking I'm going to pursue this as a little bit more of a, hopefully wishing it would be more of a, a career move than here I am now and it is my career move. So I guess, the decision at 13, 14 was a good one in the end. Yeah, that is fantastic. And so at that age, like you were saying, 13, 14, you decided to take golf a little bit more seriously. And did you want to play competitively or did you know you wanted to be an instructor? I guess, uh, you know, what was that dream looking like for you at that age? At that age, I think, well, at that age, I definitely it was more playing and wanting to be on the European tour, be on the PJ tour, take over the world as a player. That was the kind of vision at 13, 14 years old. Yeah, I think we all have that vision Um, a little bit at that age. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, But then I guess that kind of dream as you're younger, you think it can keep going and keep going. And then I think the kind of thing that which realized where I was, I turned pro off plus one, but when I got out and carried on European tour for a spell, then I noticed that, I know I was a good player, but these guys were something else. And that's really the kind of point for me. It was a bit like, right, okay, I can't play, which is my initial dream, but I can I can do 
pretty much I want to be involved in golf. I want to make sure I'm around golf in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I had a similar experience to you. I uh, did the mini tours for a very brief minute and, um, you know, you come to a quick realization. You see how low these guys can go on a very, very consistent basis and uh, it's it's pretty eye-opening. But you went out there, you did it, you were plus one, so clearly very, very good. Uh, what did that career look like? Did you play on the Challenge Tour or no, mini tours? No, I just kind of played. We have like kind of a mini tour here. We have a few mini tours around this area. Yeah, so I, I played a few of them. Um, I actually, from, from the start, when I, I, when I first turned pro, I actually sold shares in myself, which is, if anybody is ever doing it out there, it's one way to raise money. But for me, that kind of put a lot of pressure on me in my game. I felt like I wasn't playing for myself. I was letting sponsors down and letting other people down. And that kind of got in my head a little bit as opposed to feeling like, no, I'm playing with my money. I'm playing when I want to play, not because the sponsors want me to play. And that put a lot of pressure on me. And for me, that I think you've either got it at that point or you haven't. And I soon found that for me, when I wasn't when I was playing, I was I was too busy thinking about I was going to pay people back if I could pay people back, and it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, especially when you turn pro when you're quite young as well. Um, so for me, if any advice to people out there, I, I would I would if you can do, it's not easy. I know it's quite expensive playing these mini tours, but as best you can, you've, you've got to try and fund it yourself. I think that's my main advice to people. Yeah, I met a few guys along the way that had a similar takeaway to raising money like that, and especially people on the younger side having tens of thousands of dollars of someone else's money invested in you just simply playing good golf. is It's a lot of weight and a lot of pressure. And so uh, for you, how old were you when you decided to raise the money and sell some shares in yourself? Um, I mean, it, 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 probably, it wasn't quite that much money. It was, it, it was a fair amount of money, but... Um, I was I was 18 when I first turned pro. Originally, I, I kind of lost my amateur status at 18, and it was a big realization from then. After me being seeing how the good the guys are on the European tour and PJ tour, that okay, this is there's a lot of pressure on this, and I'm only playing for a small amount of money. Where these guys are playing to pay for their millions mortgage. and millions. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's interesting. So I guess you got to the point where you realized that this wasn't what you wanted to do in golf. And it sounds like from my research that caddying was very much your next step. And so how did you get into this? Yeah. So, I mean, it really goes back to when I, like I said, I turned pro and in the winters to kind of develop my game, I spent a lot of time out in Portugal. Um, so I, I worked at a place called Bo Vista. It's based in the Algarve, beautiful spot, so much golf down there. Um, and it's absolutely fantastic to try and develop your game, especially in the UK. I mean, it's so hard to develop it through the winter here. The weather's so terrible. You can't, you can't no way near it, no way near compete with people that are, have pretty good conditions all year round. So I spent from roughly around January through to um, March time every year out in Portugal, at Bovista. And then from there, I actually met Tom, Tom Murray's dad, a guy called Andrew Murray. Um, I helped him out um, yeah, I played a few bits of golf with him. He invited me back down. This relationship kind of evolved. I actually saw him for a bit of tuition when I came home. He's kind of turned into my mentor, really. Um, and then as that relationship evolved, he asked me on a one-off, would I caddy for his son? Um, and I actually caddied for his son in just a local mini-tour event. And then from there, he asked me, we did a good, we finished well. I think we finished like third or fourth in that event. And then he actually asked me to caddy in a one-off challenge tour event in Switzerland. And then in the final day, I think we finished, I think we shot like six under and we finished in the top 10. So it was a really great week for him. So about three months after that happened, he was going to tour school and he'd already done first stage of European tour school himself, got through. Um, and he asked me, would I, come, would I come and do second stage? So this is out in Spain at Panoramica. 
Um, so I did second stage, went out there at the time. I was, I was still playing a little bit myself and I went out there. It's a great experience. And we got them through to final stage. So I was like, well, that is getting quite a serious now. Um, and then actually we, we, we did final stage and he ended up getting his European tour card through a fantastic, I think we shot six under final round, guaranteed a European tour card. And from there, he asked me to do a full year on the European tour. So pretty much two weeks after getting the European tour card, I found myself at Leopard Creek in South Africa. Not If you asked me three weeks earlier, would I be doing that? I would never have imagined myself <laughs> there. So I guess my way into it was almost, I kind That's of awesome. fell, fell into it by mistake almost probably one of the best mistakes i made yeah absolutely and i love that adventurous attitude like why not go caddy on the european tour for a year like let's uh just see what happens and so like you said you kind of just fell into this how long did it go on for yeah so i caddied full-time for two years for tom um so from the, from the start of the season through to the kind of two seasons with him and the first season was spent purely just on the european tour um, and we played a few kind of challenge tours towards the end and we actually won one of the challenge tour events which kind of was big for him because it secured him basically a European slash challenge tour card the next year. I carried from the next year again. Um, and then in between that, I kind of, I, I was playing myself, doing the odd caddying for him. And then a year after that, I then spent the full year caddying for him on challenge tour. So the challenge tour schedule is just as big as the kind of European tour schedule. It's almost the same thing, really. The talent on there the top section of that and top 15 are just as good as the guys on yeah. tour. Yeah, they're unbelievable. Yeah, it's it and um so for me it's it's been kind of seriously been kind of full-time job for about two and a half years, but then it's been on and off since really I was about 18. That is so cool. What an awesome experience especially to see other areas in the golf industry you could work and build a career around. So, have you caddied for anyone else? I've done, did one of one or two two events with Simon Dyson, um one at the Porsche and I forgot what it was, the KLM was the other one. Um, so, I mean, that was a great experience. I mean, I, he asked me to do this um, as kind of a one-off. I think he was struggling to find a caddy one week. He he called me through his management company. And, I, I mean, as, as I was growing up, Simon Dyson was one of the big names. I think when I was probably, I think, about 13, 14, a bit of that when I had one match that I wanted to be a player, he'd won three or four times in that year, nearly got in the Ryder Cup squad. So he, this this guy was an amazing guy. So it, it was a bit bizarre, really, him asking me to go and caddy for him. Uh, but fantastic experience. And um, hope, hopefully he can turn his seasons around. I mean, he's, he's struggling at the moment, but hopefully he can turn it around. Yeah, what a great experience to caddy for someone like that. And something I've always been curious about with uh, professional caddies, and I think it could probably be looked at as like, oh, that's really cool, but behind the scenes it might be a little different, is uh, do you like the travel that comes with it? Um. I think a lot of people, when they tell them it, they think, oh, it's great. It sounds very glamorous. But to be perfectly honest, I, I don't really like the travel, no. Um, it, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult. Um, living out of suitcase week on week. And even little things like having to budget and making sure that you're, you're not spending more than you, you're earning. Because at the end of the day, you've got to make sure. It, you've got, I think a lot of people go out there and don't really realize it's a job. They kind of do it and try and live week to week. Whereas if you actually say, working a full-time job at home you'd you'd want to make sure you were putting a little bit of money away each month and that it all grinds on you and especially if you're kind of struggling a little bit it's very very hard out there to kind of one save money and try and create a future unless you're doing very very well but especially on that challenge tour it makes it very 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 hard um but 
the traveling, the, per- the short answer to it, no, I don't really like the traveling. Not, I'm not a very good flyer, if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm not either. And I, and I can see what you're saying, especially for the Challenge Tour where the purses are a lot smaller and you're not really making that much money unless you're absolutely killing it. And yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, and so I'm guessing this is why you started to take to social media and to YouTube, and this is something you have done just a absolute phenomenal job at. You've built a massive following around yourself and your brand, and so... What was your reason for jumping into this world in the first place? Um, I guess the reason was that as I finished kind of caddying and I kind of started to coach a little bit more, I kind of I thought the experience that I've gained from caddying on the European Tour, caddying on the Challenge Tour, and that background that I've got is pretty unique to kind of many coaches or even, okay, there is some few coaches, but I guess quite a lot of people haven't really seen it from inside the ropes. And I thought that experience I wanted to kind of share with people. And to be honest with you, the YouTube was something that when I, when I started it just under two years ago now, um, it wasn't something I actually thought of. It was actually my partner. She, she suggested I should do it. And from there, I've, I've thrown myself fully straight into it. And it's probably the best thing I ever did. I guess the kind of the early guys that I saw were kind of people like Andrew Rice um, when I was ever searching for things. And they were the kind of things that would pop up to me, especially Hawking. So David Ledbetter, when you see him on the TV as well. And um, so then I guess those guys were the kind of reasons why I started, but I started really to try and convey the messages of kind of what I've experienced from inside, trying to give people the knowledge that, yeah, okay, these guys, I think a lot of people have this thought that the guys on the European tour make it very complicated and make their swings very complicated. And really I want to share the fact that they try and keep it even more simple than you're trying to make it. And that is kind of expressed throughout my YouTube channel, I think. Yeah, that is fantastic. And I preach simplicity on this podcast for business. And it has been one of the biggest lessons I have personally learned since starting my own. And so I just love that focus for an approach to golf. And we actually had Andrew Rice on the podcast and he talked a lot about the power of social media and YouTube and that it has been a big proponent in growing his teaching business as well. And so have you seen some opportunities since starting all this come your way? Yeah, I guess so. From when I started it, I was quite lucky, really. Even in the early stages of me starting it, I think I kind of showed that dedication. And I started off with kind of a brand that supported me, was Bunker Mentality, and they were great. They picked me up when I didn't have a very large following at all. They really kind of believed in what I was doing and my philosophy and where I wanted to take my channel. And they really supported me from there. But really, kind of, I guess, quite exciting news and the kind of thing that I'm, I guess, surprised but very, very humble and really excited about is. About a month ago now, I signed with Puma and Cobra. And now that's and that opportunity without social media, without what I'm doing, would never have arisen. We're just being your standard PJ coaching pro in the UK. You, you, you would never, ever have the opportunity to do something or be associated with a brand like that. And it's a, it, it, it's a worldwide brand. And it, it, I still have to kind of pinch myself a little bit and realize, well, that's I kind of built it up to a stage where these brands are wanting to kind of work with me, which is great. Oh yeah, it is fascinating. And it shows the power of the internet. And if you're able to create a unique approach and show some passion with what you're doing, you can really create a unique brand. And I actually talked with uh, Duncan Littlefield. I had him on the podcast a little ways back and he was playing professional golf on the mini tours and he was sponsored by Callaway just because he was able to build an audience around what he was doing. So I just always think that is so cool. But how long did it take you to get to this point? I, I guess, when did your whole journey with social media begin? Um, so I started the whole journey now. I rest about February 2017. Um, and then from there, I read about kind of six, okay, I guess, to be honest with you, in the first kind of four or five months, I had all these photos when I was caddying. And it kind of grew 
very, very quickly. It kind of was in, like, within the first month, I had a thousand followers, which is, which I found was quite crazy, really. Um, and was that on Instagram then, or Twitter? On, on Instagram, sorry. And then within YouTube was a little bit slower and, and, and until it kind of gets to a point where it snowballs. But, um, from there, my Instagram just kind of in, in a small world, I know a lot of people have got a lot more subscribers in in the general world, but in terms of golfing terms, it, it kind of blew up kind of, I'd say about two or three months in it. Once it got to a thousand, I was soon then at 4,000, then it almost like doubled 8,000 and it kind of snowballed. But what I did do is I, I try and make sure you're constantly uploading. I think my philosophy around that and how I've tried to make it grow as quick as I can is that I'm, I always take content and try and get as much engagement with people as possible. And I think if people that don't post and don't kind of and really expect the results, pe- people soon forget who you are. And if you don't keep yourself in the public eye, I think the reason why I've grown and seen results as quick as I have is because I continuously upload. I mean, I think I've gone one week in between when I started my channel, my YouTube channel and my Instagram, where I've only not posted YouTube videos for one week from when I started it in February 2017 to date now, which is it's a lot of work to try and keep up. But when you start seeing results, when you start seeing sponsorships, when you start seeing like doing interviews like this, it, this is all the kind of fun things that are associated with it. But all the hard work is, goes in behind the scenes. Oh yeah, there is just so much hard work that goes in behind the scenes when creating content that I don't think people necessarily realize as your goal is to make it look effortless. But you have built this Instagram following and I'm curious, is this how you have been able to gain subscribers on YouTube by driving traffic that way via Instagram? Definitely, definitely. I think as an Instagram is probably a more interactive, quicker platform for people to view. So yeah, definitely growing that first. But it, it's it's more kind of, creating engaging content that I, I'd say it's that, that you believe in yourself. I think when you're saying it and you're doing a video, people have got to believe you and they've got to associate what you're saying with it not being believable as a word, but being relatable to you and, and trusting in what you're saying. These people, like, it's amazing. I find that get people messaging me, asking me how to look at their swing. I mean, I don't, I've never seen them before. I don't know how they hit it. But I think you've got to give that persona where people trust in what you're saying. You've got to be genuine as well. I think a lot of the time, if my, my biggest advice would be be genuine, be yourself, and definitely be patient. And a lot of people, you, you don't see results very, very early. I was quite lucky with in terms of Instagram, but I'm only really seeing now in terms of my YouTube, really seeing some really nice results now in terms of subscribers going up, in terms of views. And that, that for me, is taking a long time. And I think a lot of people may have knocked it on the head to YouTube because that is the biggest time-consuming thing. It's very, very easy to put your Instagram post up and post it up in a 60-second clip, whereas YouTube, it's editing, planning, filming, making sure you've got a lot of content, then plugging the video. It, it, it's a lot of work. And the biggest thing I'd say is definitely be patient and be confident and believe in what you're saying. Yeah, you really do. And my podcast is similar in that way. It takes a lot of planning for each interview and then research behind them. And then you just have to be patient when growing that listener base. And it's just very time consuming and takes a lot of hard work. But you mentioned there that believing in what you do is a big thing. And so what is that? What is your strategy for your channel? I guess the kind of approach that I use, I try and give an all-round approach. So I've done quite a lot of things on like yardage, which comes back from my kind of caddying background, club selection ways to make your practice so in terms of practice games i think a lot of people don't really practice smart so i've done quite a few different series on how to practice smart in terms of short game long game 
and then taking that onto the golf course. Um, so there's a, there's a whole variety of short game, long game, practical tests you can do, um, mental side of things. I mean, trying to encompass, like I said earlier, the, the whole thing that I learned when I was caddying and almost what I learned straight away pass over. And my, my philosophies, I guess, from my caddying days and when I was reading books and when I was having lessons when I was younger, my philosophies kind of come from David Ledbetter, um, reading um, one of Ben Hogan's books, one of John Jacobs' books. So that I guess they, those guys are my kind of three main areas or three main kind of influences for where my teaching philosophies have come from. Okay, cool. And so another thing I'm wondering is what your life is like on a day-to-day basis because you're caddying, you're coaching, you're running these social media accounts, and it's all very, very time-consuming. And so what does that look like on a daily or weekly basis? Hectic. <laughs> I'm <laughs> no. sure. Um, <laughs> um, no, a lot of planning goes in. So for me, if I was taking, like, say, typical day to day, I've taught in the morning, and then actually because we had a, we've had a nice weather today, I've spent all afternoon filming YouTube videos ahead of hopefully not a very wet winter, but I can imagine a very very wet and cold winter here. So for me, I'm just really trying to plan and really get ahead of the game going into October, November, December, January. And I've got loads of content already filmed, uploaded, and waiting to go. So, like this could also link back to kind of the advice. It, it's making sure you're planning what you're doing. I mean, it'd be very, very easy to teach, film, go home, and try and film one a week to make sure I've got one video a week. But logically, uh, that doesn't really work. It's it, otherwise you keep chasing your tail. You've, you've got to make sure you're planning. So my my, my day to day is teaching, um, filming planning, online lessons, um, try and just basically cover every single base. And I guess I couldn't really do that without my partner. She's giving me a massive help in trying to make all this content and put all this content up. But it's 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 very, very hectic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am sure it is. And so back to the whole patience thing, because I think this is very important. It's always It always takes longer than you think. And you eventually have a moment like for yourself when you sign with Cobra Puma and all the hard work just starts to feel like it's paying off. But were there any moments while you were going about building this alternative life where you, you know, you, you kind of were like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. You might have to change course. Yeah, definitely. I, I reckon I, when, in terms of YouTube, when I was probably about six, six months into it, really, I was thinking, well, no, nobody's watching it really on YouTube. <laughs> why, why, why am I doing it? Um, but no, that, that kind of, I guess, you've, like you're saying, you've, you've just got to be patient. And even if I, the best thing about YouTube is, even if people don't watch those videos now, they're always on there. People can always go back and watch them. So my theory was that even if I keep putting this content up, content up that I believe is good and I, I believe I would watch, then hopefully someone would notice it. And then it gets one person noticing it, trying to do engagement. And a lot of live sessions I did to try and get people onto the YouTube channel and get people engaging with it and replying to comments, making sure his audience focused. And that patience thing was massive. But yeah, about six months in was difficult for me. I thought, especially when, when the winter, when it's so wet and cold, it's like I was spending time filming with a woolly hat on mitts on and a hot cup of tea in between filming and saying a few things. And it's, it's like, why am I doing this? But then I remembered and just trying to keep yourself focused and, be patient and now and thankfully I didn't stop and have carried on to where I am now yeah that is absolutely wild you're filming in the cold going through all the tough times of getting anything off the ground and now you're just in a really good spot and so 
Do you view this all, the social media stuff and the YouTube as a business or more as an extension of your PGA teaching career? I, I see this kind of as an extension. I initially did it just to kind of build up awareness of what I teach and get people to come for me for lessons. And that was almost like my advertisement of what I do. Um, so it, I, I don't see YouTube as my career, no. I see it as kind of advertising what I do in my teaching. And for me, I'd like to use it as like kind of a platform to kind of boost me and hopefully into kind of maybe commentary, social media, who knows? I mean, it, it, I just really want to make sure people can see the best version of what I do and hopefully that opens all of the avenues for me. Yeah. It's like a digital business card and someone can learn and see who you are. And like you said, what you do, and obviously it's been paying off so far and I'm sure a lot of opportunities are still in store. And so are you still caddying? Um, I did actually caddy about a week ago, actually, for, for Tom again. Um, the, the Challenge Store event was in the UK, um, down at Luton, roughly about, about, about three-hour drive south of me. Um, so I went down and caddied on the Sunday. He played lovely, shot six under, but then subsequently, so on the following week, to go and finish second in Kazakhstan, which is the biggest event on the Challenge Store schedule, and it's boosted him straight up to 11th on the order of merit. So, fingers crossed he can finish top 15 from now. Um, and who knows, I may, I may do a few in the future, hopefully, with him. Yeah, hopefully you can keep that rolling in the right direction. And so if you're looking at this in a big picture way, are you hoping to keep caddying while doing all this, or do you just want to focus and hone in on the teaching and the YouTube and all that? Um, I kind of see the future. I, I, I really want to kind of grow my own brand. But I'm, I mean, I may caddy for him now and then if, if he wants me to. It's up to him in, in that respect. Um but no, I'm I'm really trying to be focused on growing growing what I do. Like like I think I'm just on the crest of a wave here, and if I can keep doing what I'm doing and keep producing content, hopefully that people keep engaging with and keep liking my my philosophy and my style, then who knows? I want to try and take this to the next level. This for me is just the start of what I want to get to. I want to try and create this, hopefully being worldwide in the end. Okay, and that is something I love to talk about. Generally, people working on something entrepreneurial have a bigger vision on their mind. And so, like you said, worldwide, what are you hoping all this becomes in three, five years from now? So I want to be one of the biggest on YouTube and on Instagram and really trying to be the not, not a household name, but kind of a golf club name throughout the world and kind of tuition and where people go just to get genuine, really good advice. Um, and this is kind of like no disrespect to kind of any, any other people that are doing YouTube. There's some fantastic guys doing some great stuff out there. But for me, I think as a, as a younger person, I can kind of relate to hopefully trying to build up golf and get people into golf as a younger person. And for me, I've started it at this age of 24. By the time I'm 34 or even 30, hopefully I'm in that position where I'm looking and going, I'm, I've reached that goal. I'm one of the biggest in the world. And then from there, hopefully... Like I said earlier, I'd like to kind of get involved in TV and things like that. That'd be where I'd feel like I've, I've completed my goal there. I love it, man. You have to dream big, and I can't wait to see all that happen and come to fruition. And so by TV, do you mean commentating for the tour, stuff like that? Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. I've been I've done a little bit of things for BBC and Five Live in the past over here in the UK, which is like the national radio here. Um, but they've kind of just been kind of guest appearances, just trying to answer questions on certain areas. So one of them was Tiger Woods, one of them was Rory McIlroy. Um, but for me, I, I always want to be trying to be like, I want to be a coach, do my YouTube and almost be one of their kind of correspondents and people, and people then hopefully will notice me from that, from basically my YouTube and people 
it brings people to golf. And I think as a younger person, hopefully I can try and engage people to take up golf. Because here in the UK, it's not struggling, but not many people are playing it. So for me, if I can do that as a younger person, and hopefully for the greater good of the whole game, we can get more people playing. Yeah, and I would actually like to talk about that subject. You always hear the saying, grow the game, and we're in the U.S., and people say it isn't necessarily growing here as well. And so from the U.K. standpoint, what do you think is holding it back? I think as a U.K. standpoint, it, it, it's that stigma of the cost. I mean, to become a member at a golf club over here in the U.K., I mean, if you wanted to play, say, a good golf club where you had facilities all year round, you, you're looking at the best part of £1,000 per year to be a member. I mean, I know that's not a lot compared to over in the U.S., but when when most people are kind of working-class backgrounds, especially in Manchester, it's not easy to pick up golf when you can go and play football for the price of, say, £10 or £50 for a season as a junior. It, it's, it, it, it's a big contrast, and I think the reason is people haven't got the time. Um, and I think golf clubs have kind of got to adapt. They've got to make – and the whole game's got to adapt. So you've got to do nine or more nine-hole competitions – a lot more relaxed format, get it more mixed. Men and ladies can play together. Families can play together in competitions. And that, for me, the, the game's got to adapt or it'll die. People people keep thinking, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And yeah, okay, there will still be that following and that hardcore following that will play it. But as a result of that, that's just going to make it demise and go smaller and smaller. We're not regenerating what we were kind of five, six years ago. But hopefully... Now, Tiger's one again. That'll all change. Yeah, Tiger being back will certainly help a lot. And there's also a movement going on here focusing on nine-hole municipal golf courses. And I think that should be a bigger focus because they are more affordable and take way less time to play. And especially maybe getting competitions for younger generations going that way for nine-hole loops would be pretty cool as well. But to go off all this, I also think showcasing what golf gives you in return is really powerful, such as relationships and business opportunities, et cetera. And so for you, is there anything specific golf has given you that you are grateful for? Um, I, I guess very similar to you, the opportunities in terms of kind of clothing, business ventures. Um, but re- really for me, um, it's given me a job, which I don't really feel like a job. I know it's, 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 it's a lot of hard work and trying to create content, trying to it's teaching. It's a lot of long hours throughout the summer. But for me, it doesn't feel like I'm getting up in the morning and sitting behind an office. It, it's doing something I enjoy. So it, it's, I guess it's really given me confidence and it's given me a self, a self-belief, belonging, and just joy, really, more than anything. That is a great answer. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that. And overall, Alex, thank you so much for the time today. This has just been awesome, man. And I really appreciate your insights into growing your brand. Best of luck with everything you have going on. Perfect. No worries. So thank you for having me. Totally enjoyed it. All right. And that wraps up our interview with Alex Elliott. A big thank you to him for coming on the show and taking the time to tell us about his ventures and his YouTube channel and caddying and everything else he has going on. It was uh, really cool. And If you are enjoying the show, then please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review. And make sure to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at RyanCWalker underscore. I would love to hear from you. And until next time, thanks again for listening today.